Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. My name is Mickey. I'm a worship arts coordinator at Baylife Church. And I'm Travis, and I'm the teaching pastor at Baylife Church. And we want to welcome you to the Stone Table. This is the first time that we have recorded an introduction to a podcast after having put up wallpaper. (laughs) Yes, it is. So if you guys tuned in last week, you heard us talk about how we were going to put up wallpaper and paint and and redo our study. And, you know, looking back, I'm thinking that was very ambitious of us to think that we could do it in a day. (laughs) I feel like if you were to listen to last week's episode and this week's episode side by side, there's a little bit less life in our voices because (laughs) putting up wallpaper was one of the most horrific things I've ever endured. (laughs) You guys, wallpaper is hard, okay? And this this is peel and stick, okay? So it's not even like the real... It's not even real wallpaper. It's millennial wallpaper, and it's awful. (laughs) Well, here's the thing is we... Okay, so I think we knew going in, we were going, we we're going to have to be careful. Right. We we're going to have to make sure that we match and all that. Because um, our friend Richard and his wife Janice said wallpaper was really bad. Yes, they, they yes. Warned us. They told us, they warned us, they really did. And they, did. they are yeah. good friends of ours because they were checking in on us throughout <laughs> the entire check, process. They were checking in on the health of our marriage. Yeah, they, they were, were like, that worried about the how wallpaper. How are you guys doing? Are you guys okay? Are you? They called us and they were like, we're just checking on you to make sure you're not fighting or anything yeah. <laughs> because because you have to be very good at communicating yeah. in order to put up intricate wallpaper especially we i guess we, we picked didn't, the most we didn't extra realize extra pattern that you ever i mean we picked the most absurdly over the top we did pattern. we did yeah. it's like floral and and it's beautiful you guys it's yeah, beautiful it and good. gorgeous and we love it now but mm-hmm. at the time we 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 almost quit uh-huh. A couple times. It we took almost three days. That's how long it took it for did. Jesus to rise from the dead. I know. And, and that's, that's how long it took us to put up wallpaper a on a single wall. One wall. Yeah. Just one wall. It, it was it was a lot. <laughs> Although you're you're sitting in front of the wall and I'm looking across our uh, nice desk. Right. And and you look great. It, Thank it you. really frames your face well. I appreciate that. Yeah. So yeah, we are we're very proud of our little wall, our little wallpapered wall. Mm-hmm. Um it took us a lot of work to get it up there, um, but it, I think it was worth it. Wouldn't you say, Travis? Yeah, I think so. I feel like our marriage is stronger because of it. I think so, too. Now I, that we're on the other side. Richard and I were talking about it, and I don't know if I told you this or not, but we decided the next time we do premarital counseling with a couple, oh yes. we're going to actually ask them as part of their preparation to put wallpaper on one wall yes. together mm-hmm. and record the conflicts and mm. how, how they resolve the conflict, because I feel like... It's a lot of problem solving. It's problem solving. And communication. And and communication. Yep. And there were times where I feel like my brain short circuited. And yes. I just I didn't know what to <laughs> ask for, but I was frustrated that I wasn't getting it. <laughs> yeah. And I was pull like, that, man, this- pull that corner. Uh but pull it where? To the left, to the right, out. I don't know. Which just corner? Do something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So So yeah, that was our week last week. Um Thanksgiving happened somewhere in the middle of it. Somewhere in the middle of that. But yeah, we mostly finished. We painted the rest of the walls and we still maybe have a couple of touch-ups. But yeah, we are really enjoying our new study. It's looking good. It is. It's swift. 
It is swift. We are still waiting on one piece for uh, one of our bookshelves that we've got because we we built one bookshelf. Right. Now we're waiting to build another one. And so we're waiting on one piece. So it's not completely finished. Yeah, that was the other source of frustration. We've been to, I I almost said Psykea. (laughs) We've been to Ikea three times now and they've been sold out of it every time. Yes. So we're really hoping and praying that they have the part tomorrow so that we can finish the final bookcase because... Travis Everything has a lot of piles. books. It's and it's all in piles. There are books everywhere. Yeah. Augustine can barely get to his room. It's yeah. a, just a mess. So yeah, once we finish that, I think the room will be complete. We've got a new desk from Travis's Yaya. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who, who, who passed this desk down to her grandchildren? Yeah. And, uh, it's a beautiful desk. Yeah. That's what we're recording from right now. It is. So we're very excited about our new recording yeah. spot. So that brings us to today's episode. Right. We actually got the chance to record our very first interview from this very spot yeah it was nice to at least well so we basically pointed the camera towards the corner of the study that was actually put together at the time so you couldn't see the wasteland behind (laughs) it Uh, but this conversation was great we had the opportunity to sit down with wes hill wes hill wes hill is one of my favorite theologians he serves as the associate professor of new testament at trinity school for ministry in pennsylvania and he's also a priest at the trinity cathedral in pittsburgh so On, cool. It's it's awesome. And he's just recently been ordained yeah. to the priesthood in the Episcopal Church. So mm-hmm. that's super exciting. And uh, I know he's going to do a great job serving mm-hmm. in that capacity. But, yes. but Wes's... A big area of writing is on the area of sexuality and celibacy. And so he's written a number of books about that. One of them is Washed and Waiting, which was his first book. And Mm -hmm. then a follow-up to that called Spiritual Friendship. But we're talking to Wes specifically about his most recent book, which is on the topic of the Lord's Prayer. It is so good. Mm-hmm. We read the his book on the Lord's Prayer maybe a couple months ago, and we were just so moved by how beautifully it's written and how um, just how deep he dives into the Lord's Prayer, mm-hmm. you know, the great prayer that Jesus himself commands of us and how it really teaches us to address God. It teaches us so much about Jesus as right. well. And Wes just does an amazing job of explaining that to, to us as we read the book and and as we sat down for an interview, I mean, we just kept going even more in depth um, mm-hmm. into the book that he wrote and just what inspired the process behind it yeah. and uh, just his experience with the Lord's Prayer as yeah. well. So that was super, super touching. It's one of the most insightful little books on the Lord's Prayer that I've ever yes. read. And I've, I've had to read a few books over the course of seminary on the on the prayer that Jesus gave us in Matthew's mm-hmm. Gospel. Wes's book is above and beyond anything I've ever read. And he does such a great job of showing us how each line of the prayer is actually fulfilled in Jesus. Yes, yes. So I can't wait to share this conversation with Wes. He is, like I said, one of my favorite theologians. And Mm -hmm. I am so looking forward to you hearing this discussion around the Lord's Prayer. So with that being said, I'm Travis. And I'm Mickey. And this is The Stone Table. So Wes, thank you so much for joining us today on The Stone Table. We are so excited to have you. Now, we normally begin our interviews asking a very important question, whether or not they are dog or cat people. However, we did a little bit of research and checked out your Instagram page, and I can see that you are a dog person. <laughs> so, and I noticed that one of your dogs is named Carl. And I need to ask, is he named after Carl Bart? 
<laughs> well, first, let me say thanks for having me on this podcast. I've been looking forward to it. I, I from what I can see of your ministry, it, it, the Lord is really blessing your work, and I'm I'm honored to be be here with you today in this in this way. Um, I am a dog person. Uh, <laughs> my dog is named after Carl Bart. His full name is Carl Bark. Uh, that's, that's how much of a nerd that I, I am. Love that. so, yeah. That's perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so and then my housemates have another dog who's about the same size named Coho. Okay. Um, she hails from Alaska, so she's named after the Coho salmon. Gotcha. gotcha. Uh, okay. So, so yeah. know that you're in good company. Um, when I was single, my first cat's name was Ignatius after Ignatius of Antioch, Excellent. and uh, Excellent. he's he's since gone into glory. And the new cat's <laughs> name is Augustine after Augustine of Hippo. So wonderful. Yes. Uh, you are you are joining people who fully name their pets after notable Love theologians. It. Yes. Love <laughs> it. <laughs> um, so uh, first of all, I wanted to say congratulations. I saw that you were recently ordained to the priesthood and that's super exciting um what i know of your story having read some of your other books is is that you didn't begin in the anglican communion but this has been kind of a journey and a process over a number of years for you and so that's right i was just wondering if you could share a little bit about that uh, process maybe a little bit about your upbringing and how you ended up in the episcopal church yeah sure happy to um i i was raised in a great christian family in arkansas uh, just north of little rock and we went to a southern baptist church and it was something that I never resented. I, I loved it, you know, from, from my earliest times as a kid. I, I remember my parents reading Bible stories to us, and um, I, I just felt enthralled by the whole thing. And, and um, they, we talked a lot about Jesus in our, in our house, you know, that he died for us and rose for us, and it, it, it's just always been the center of, of who I am. Um, as I got older, I, I started kind of really taking my own faith formation more seriously. So I talked to my youth pastor about prayer and started uh, at my dad's encouragement to read some Christian books by people like C.S. Lewis and J.R. Packer. And so just mm. kind of started to get into more of the, um, more of the meat of the, of the Christian life. And in, in all Anglicans ways. too. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. exactly. Exactly. <laughs> the seeds were being sown. Right. I didn't even yeah. Little did you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I went away and did my, my undergraduate degree at Wheaton, which is an evangelical Christian college near Chicago. And at the time, uh, it seemed like all the students were discovering like the liturgy. They were discovering uh, classic, you know, liturgical traditions of worship. And and I remember one of my friends invited me to come along to a Maundy Thursday service, which is the Thursday before Good Friday. Um, and there was an actual foot washing that happened at this service. And it was, you know, there was the liturgy, we had communion. And uh, I was initially kind of like, whoa, what is this? Like I'd never really experienced anything like it. And, and didn't uh, it didn't immediately appeal to my, you know, kind of, uh, uh, interests. Um, but I was intrigued enough to want to go back. And so I think that's kind of where I initially got bitten by the Anglican bug. And I, um, yeah, I, uh, I still, you know, to this day, I just find the, the way Anglican liturgy does, uh, the services of Holy week to just be a profound spiritual experience, you know, every year, it was really hard not having that this year with the, with the COVID uh, pandemic. And, um, yeah, so eventually I, I ended up kind of through a long route, uh, going to England for graduate school and I got confirmed in the church of England when I was there. Uh, okay. so that's, wow. that's kind of how that came about. And then I moved back to the States and, and just couldn't, couldn't get away from the feeling that God was calling me to be ordained and to, um, you know, to be a minister, not only, 
uh, in terms of preaching, but also in terms of, you know, leading, leading God's people to the table uh, yeah. for, for communion. So mm. yeah, that's kind of how it, how it came about. That's really awesome. So cool. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm sure like being in England and worshiping in the Anglican tradition, oh, you, you even get more of like a sense <laughs> yeah. of, of yeah. the richness of it. Cause you've got these yeah. incredible historic buildings and yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I would, I, yeah. So I was in a place called Durham, which is way far north, almost to Scotland. And okay. um, if any of your listeners just Google Durham Cathedral, uh, that's that's where I worshipped, and it's it's just a stunning, uh, you know, it's it's stunning. It's mm-hmm. you know a thousand years old, and it's consistently voted Britain's favorite building. Wow! Uh, <laughs> like so, yeah, it was it was very inspiring. I don't even know what America's favorite building would be. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Do, I don't think we have elections for things like no. that. Do we? <laughs> yeah. Man, that's so awesome. Uh, well, so Wes, you've recently written this book on the Lord's Prayer, which is a part of this Lexham series on the Christian Essentials, which is a phenomenal series. Mm-hmm. Um, just, just some tremendous scholars have contributed to it, and uh, I, I've read everything you've written previously, with the exception of your PhD dissertation on uh, Paul and the Trinity, and largely you've written in the area of sexuality and celibacy, mm-hmm. and so this is in some ways kind of a, a departure from what you've traditionally written at a at a lay right. level. So talk to us a little bit about the development of this book. Uh, what got you excited to write about the Lord's Prayer and, and how did it, how did this process kind of move forward for you as we were piecing the initial stages together? Yeah, well, I got a, I got a call from, um, or maybe it was an email, I can't remember, uh, from Todd Haynes, who's an editor at Lexham. And he said, I, I have this idea for a series. I want to, I want to get, create resources that Christians can use. You don't have to have a theology degree to understand them that basically lead us back to the basics of our faith. And from a very early point in the church's history, uh, three of the key basics have been recognized to be the apostles creed where we sort of recite, you know, the story of what God has done for us through Jesus. Um, The Lord's prayer, which teaches us how to, how to address God, how to speak to God and also the Ten Commandments, which show us, you know, the the, the way God wants us to live uh, now that we're, you know, being sanctified, being made new in in Jesus. Um, and Todd said, "Would you would you want to write on the Lord's Prayer?" And I was sort of surprised. I I didn't imagine myself writing on the Lord's Prayer. I I, I pray it. I love it. Sure. But I didn't know that I had anything you know interesting to say about it. And you know, the more I thought about it, the more I prayed about it, the more I felt like, yeah, this is really something I want to write about um, because I I had read this other book um, by a theologian named George Hunsinger about the Beatitudes. You know, the the place in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, you know, blessed are the poor, uh, uh, things like this. Um, and Hunsinger just went through the Beatitudes one by one, and he showed how every single one of them show us something about Jesus. Yeah. So they're not yeah. just talking about us being blessed, but they're actually talking about his character and who he is and who he is right. for us. And I thought, you know, I think I could, I think I could do something similar with the Lord's prayer. I mean, we're, we're obviously supposed to be praying this ourselves. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's Jesus who prays it and it's Jesus who lives it out. Yeah. You know, he embodies this prayer. So that kind of became my, my drumbeat through the book. I just kept hitting that, that note over and over again. Yeah. So I'll, I'll tell you this. Um, I, when I was reading it, I, I didn't tell Mickey I'd ordered it, which I probably should have since we share a bank account and <laughs> yeah. I, I, I used our collective money on it. Um, yeah, we were sitting in our office and, and I kept like sniffling because I was tearing up reading it and she'd be like, what's going on? Yeah. Nothing. My, it's my allergies. And, and then, and then I think we had like a free week or something and you picked it up and started reading it and, there I were, did. and the same thing happened. 
Yeah. Let me tell you, yeah. I, I was very emotional the entire time because it is oh. so clear that that is the beat that you that you used throughout the entire book. It taught us so much about Jesus and God and how we mm. are to address mm. them. It, it was just it's powerful. Yeah. Well, I'm 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 really honored. Thanks, you guys. Yeah, it's it, it's a tremendous book. And I think it is in, in many ways. Um, obviously, there in. If, if we say something new, then we've probably departed from the tradition, but, That's right. That's but there right. are, there are fresh eyes or yes. there's a fresh perspective that I've gained mm-hmm. on, on the great prayer uh, as a result mm-hmm. of, of this book. So it really is tremendous. And I'm thankful. I'm glad to hear that. You I'm really yes glad to, to hear it. that. Yeah. You know, I, I mentioned before we started recording, when you're working on a book, you sort of have to imagine people reading it, you know, right, they're not right. in the same room with you. And so when, when you can hear from people like you guys, it's, it's very encouraging for a writer. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so Wes, some people are going to hear this and say, okay, I know the Lord's Prayer, um, but I'm not used to reciting prayers. I think mm. a lot of people might have a fear of uh, reciting prayers that have already been written and are traditional for fear of it becoming stagnant or uh, right. not really coming from the heart. I think a lot of us feel sometimes that if it's not coming from our heart, it's not real or it's not, oh. uh, there's no emotion behind it. So, can you tell us why you think it's important and valuable for mm. us to see the Lord's Prayer um, not just as a guide, but as a script as well? Because I think that while, yes, and we've talked about this on the show before, that yes, mm. there's definitely value in both reading things that are pre-written and have been traditional for years and also praying from the heart. But how can we see the Lord's Prayer as a guide and a script? Yeah, excellent question. Thanks for the question. Um, you know, I, I think there's, I, I think there's sort of a uh, a tension that we live with in the Christian life, and specifically around prayer. And so, on one end of the tension is we want to encourage everybody to just start wherever you are with prayer. You don't have to like come up with some fancy formula or or do anything special. Just tell God about what you're thinking about right now. Mm-hmm. Um, th- there's there's a great Catholic writer named Herbert McCabe who says. Um, a lot of people never get around to praying because they think that they're supposed to like clear their minds of all these anxieties and all this clutter, and then they can you know be okay and talk to God. But he says, no, it's actually the other way around. Like you start with where you are, you start with the mess that you're in and you just start talking to God that's good. about that. So that's, that's one thing to say. Um, but the other thing to say is we do need to kind of um, have God like train us in prayer. Mm-hmm. Like if, if we're, if we're always just kind of praying about, you know, our own obsessions without praying for the world, or if we're always kind of asking God for something without simply praising God, you know, for his character, like, like we, we can get off track, you know, we can kind of be stunted in our growth. And so I think something like the Lord's prayer is basically Jesus saying, here are the things you ought to prioritize when you pray. Mm. So start where you are, but then, you know, learn to grow as well. And, 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 you know, I think, I think I would say on, on, on the question of like a script, I, I basically use the Lord's prayer both ways. Like I actually recite it word by word. I memorized it when I was a kid mm-hmm. and, and, you know, in the Episcopal church, we say it every Sunday. This right, kind right. Of thing. Um, but I also kind of use it as like a jumping off point for prayer. You know, like I, I have a mentor, um, we call them spiritual directors in the Anglican world, but he, he encouraged me to just um, develop a habit of going line by line through the Lord's prayer and expanding on each line. You know, kind of, kind of using the line as your jumping off point, but then you know, speaking from your own heart and your own uh, experience too. So I think, I think it's kind of a both and. Yeah, and yeah. I think, I think Luther also commends something like that, right? As he's teaching, is it a simple way to pray? Where he's mm-hmm. uh, he writes to his barber and he says, "Here's how you pray," and he starts exactly. with, uh, I think, I think it's the Beatitudes, and then he gets mm-hmm. to the Lord's Prayer, 
And by the time he's done, like, I mean, you could pray for 10 hours just using the Lord's Prayer if you you follow his method. So the Lord's Prayer invites us, but it begins by inviting us to refer to mm. God as our Father. And I really appreciate the ways that you drew the, out this implication in the book. And mm. and you can just see it throughout the entire book. And as we walk through the entire Lord's Prayer, um, mm. you just sense the nearness of our Father. Mm. Because mm. He invites us, Jesus invites us to begin by saying our Father. Right. So can you talk us through the significance of approaching God as our Father? Yeah. Well, you know, we, it's, it's the first part of the prayer. So we have to, we have to think about this, don't we, if we're going to pray this. And, you know, the thing I, the thing I point out in the book is that um, a lot of people are afraid of this language of father because, um, you know, we've all had imperfect fathers and some of us have had really very broken fathers who've, who've, you know, kind of, they've damaged our image of what a father should be and could be. And so a lot of us kind of take those negative experiences that we've had and we, we sort of project them onto God and say, well, God must be like this. And therefore this language is, it's actually kind of a barrier to prayer. Uh, you know, to come mm. God Father feels like a hurdle that you have right. to overcome. So I wanted to, I wanted to be sure to talk about that. And I think what's amazing in the gospels is, is if you want to understand who God is as father, you have to look at Jesus mm-hmm. because, because Jesus is the son who actually defines like his life and his prayer and his death and his resurrection, that is, that defines for us what kind of father God is. And, um, you know, he's not a coercive father. He's a father who um, sends his son in love to the world to save the world. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Jesus has this astonishing intimacy with God. Um, It's, it's really striking in the gospel of John, um, all the language of father with the, with the exception of one verse, but all the dozens of other references are Jesus calling God Father. Like this is a term yeah. of special intimacy with, with God that Jesus had. And so I think what, what's actually happening in the Lord's Prayer is you and I, we together are being invited into that relationship that Jesus enjoys with the Father. Yeah. Like we don't, we don't just call God Father on our own. We, we piggyback on Jesus, so to speak. We, we share his, uh, his status before God. So he's... Mm-hmm. He's the eternal son of this father, and we are sons and daughters by adoption. You know, we get we get beckoned into this and ushered into it because of Jesus. So, I wanted to I wanted to really emphasize this is this is a term of intimacy. It's a term of trust. You know, it's a term of knowing that God is on your side, mm-hmm. um, that He's not uh, waiting for you to trip up so He can you know unleash some kind of harsh yeah. discipline on you. He's He's beckoning you into a relationship of love. Well, and one of the things I appreciated in that chapter that you brought up, and I think you're following kind of Sarah Coakley's logic here, is that for people who struggle with the idea of God being Father, it's almost more important that you pray our Father because it writes kind of our misunderstanding of, of fatherhood. That's her argument, which is very daring, but I think it's it's really beautiful at the same time. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, one, one of the other things that you mentioned kind of early on in the book, and naturally because it's early in the prayer, is that we pray mm. to our Father in heaven that his name would be hallowed. Mm. And mm. I, I mentioned this to you before we started recording. I was raised in the Episcopal Church, so I grew mm. up with the 
kind of the the traditional language, hallowed be your name. Yep. And yep. never in my life did anybody explain to me what hallowed meant. Um, so I, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it took me years before I bothered to Google it. And, right, because it's archaic language. You yeah. know, we don't use that every day. Yeah, but yeah. Could, could you kind of unpack that? What's the significance of one God's name, but also this this appeal that his name would be hallowed? Yeah, yeah. You know, the, 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 the idea of God's name, this is, this sent me on such a journey through the Bible. It's, it's very powerful because, um, there's this story in Exodus chapter three of the burning bush, the, the bush that's on fire, but it, it doesn't burn up. And Moses, you know, sees this, this is before he goes and rescues the Israelites from Egypt. Um, he sees this bush and he draws near to it to see what it, what it's about. And, um, and he hears a voice from the bush that says, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the God of your, of your ancestors. And remarkably, Moses says, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on your rescue mission to go into Egypt to confront Pharaoh, to tell him to let your people go. But people are going to want to know what your name is, God. Yeah. So can you give me your name? And God does. He, he gives this name, which um, you know, Jews to this day don't pronounce out of reverence. So you, they usually say Adonai in Hebrew. But it's a name that basically says, uh, I am whoever I will be. I am, I am who I am. You know, I'm, I'm the one who eternally exists. I don't, I don't have any need. I don't have any loneliness. I don't have any lack. I am the, the perfectly existing one. And so God, God gives that name to Israel so that they can call on him so that they can trust him and, and know him. Um, and so what I think Jesus is, is teaching us here is to, is to pray that that name of God, that, that, um, that ability that we have to cry out to God by name and he hears us, we pray that his name would be uh, reverently sort of kept holy by us. Um, that, that word hallow, it's related to the word for holiness yeah. um, and the word for like, which means to be set apart, you know, to be, to be consecrated to a special mission or purpose. So we're praying, Lord, let your name, your, your very character, your identity, the name that you give us to call you, let us let us be people who keep that name holy, mm. who keep it set apart, who mm. recognize that this is an astonishing privilege that we have, and we want to we want to sort of safeguard your name. Um, and you know, there's also this this tradition of of martyrs, you know, Jewish martyrs um, who who actually gave up their lives to to guard the holiness of God's name. So wow. I think all of that is kind of there mm. in the background for Jesus. He, he's he's wanting to bring up that idea of holiness. That idea yeah. of, of like the the sanctity of God's God's name, which is God's character, God's God's you know revelation of Himself of who He is for us. Mm-hmm. So that was a fun part of the book to write, and yeah. you know it yeah. kind of drew me into all these other interesting places in the New Testament where God, the God of Israel, actually shares His name with Jesus, which shows us yeah. that Jesus is not um, Jesus is not just a man; He's right. not just a creature like us. He's He's actually fully one with the Father. He's He's the second person of the Trinity. So yeah, it was, it was, it was great to sort of hop around yeah. different parts of the Bible while yeah. I was writing that chapter. It's such a rich theme throughout scripture, the, the significance really of God's name. Yeah, absolutely. It yeah. really is. And it's so precious to us because God makes himself known to us through his name and right. by telling, you know, sharing his name, but also giving us his very name as well. Yeah. And it makes me think of baptism, right? When we're baptized, right. we're baptized in the name of the father and the exactly. son and the Holy spirit. And so exactly. it's just, exactly. su- it's just such a precious gift that God makes himself known. And yet he, he invites us into that communion. 
He yes. invites us to that relationship with him and he gives us that name. Uh, yes. So yeah, I think of something so tangible as baptism right. where we're literally right. baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Exactly. So, and I think it's significant that it says name, not names, plural, mm, you know, one name, right. the Father, Son, and Spirit, yeah. um, that they all three together share. It's, it's, it's super, you know, we'll never... We'll never get to the end of, right. of, of, of worshiping that. <laughs> yes. Right. So. Yeah. And and this is purely speculative and feel free to rebuke me as a New Testament scholar, but <laughs> but it doesn't seem insignificant that the the part of scripture where we get the baptismal formula is also the the book of the Bible that t- you know gives us this line hallowed be your name. Mm-hmm. Um, because in yeah. some sense, you know, the name is placed on us and and we need we need his yeah. help to hallow it and, yeah. and set it Amen. apart. I think yeah. that's great. Yeah. Um, so one of the challenges, I think, in praying this prayer, especially in the West and in the United States, it, it comes in this line, give us this day our daily bread. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think for for many of us, we can't wrap our minds around the fact that that we might not know where our next meal comes from. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it's just a given for us that that even if for some reason we, we couldn't provide our daily bread, there's so many uh, different ministries and, and different charities yeah. that can provide it for us. So um, maybe, maybe let's talk a little bit about that. What does it look like for somebody in a, in a privileged country like ours, and especially the privileged in a privileged country, to pray this part of the prayer and, and ask God for daily bread? How do we wrap our minds around uh, the sort of dependence that this is drawing us towards? Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I should say maybe for your listeners, I haven't seen these questions ahead of time, so I'm, I'm shooting from the <laughs> hip a little bit. Uh, um, but, but that's a great question. Um, you know, I think, I think one thing that comes to mind is the fact that all Christians are expected to pray this. You know, Jesus doesn't just give this to a select few. Mm-hmm. means that all of us, you know, regardless of where we are on the socioeconomic um, kind of spectrum or hierarchy, we're all being trained by this prayer to view ourselves as people who are in need. Yeah. you know, people who are dependent. And um, I think one of the ways that people in the affluent West are in need or we're in need of generosity, yeah. you know, to share our bread with the hungry. So maybe part of what it means for us to pray this prayer is to say, Lord, um, give me my daily bread, give me my daily sustenance, part of which is the very ability to care about others yeah. who don't have as much, who, yeah. who, who need who need me to be an agent of your kingdom, God, you know, in, in meeting them. So I did put a little uh, plug in, in that chapter of the book for fasting. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. This, this idea of periodically, you know, refraining from literal physical food yeah. can be a reminder of just what it means to pray this prayer that we're, we're actually, as much as we can get in our car and drive to the supermarket and get a loaf of bread, yeah. we're still ultimately dependent on God who sustains our lives and being, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that? That's a, that's a great question. Yeah. Well, the, the section that I loved here was when you talked about uh, in particular, our dependence on God's providence. Um, hmm. You know, I, and you mentioned this and, and I, I don't remember where I first heard it, but it was a, it was, I think it was an Oxford guy and he was a physicist and he said, hmm. you know, if God were to cease to exist, it's not as though everything would slowly wind down but it right. would, it would cease to be in an instant. Right. Um, and, and you know, get, you get gl- back to sort of classical theism that God is continually communicating his being to, to nature and sustaining it. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I love the way that you kind of took this, this portion of the prayer and applied it, not just to actual bread, 
mm. uh, but our need for God's continued providence to sustain right. everything around us. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I mean, if we had more time, maybe we could go into how Jesus himself is bread, you know, in the mm. gospel of John, yeah. like right after he feeds the 5,000, they're really interested in the literal physical bread. And he says, Hey, let's, let's talk about me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so ultimately, you know, the, the bread that we long for is, is Jesus himself. Mm, so true. Okay. So as we kind of continue reading through the Lord's prayer, uh, we, we get to this line that says, lead us not into temptation. And so a lot of people might remember the controversy that I think, I don't remember if it's Pope Francis or Pope Benedict started when he questioned how we should approach this line. You know, he mentioned the Lord, he he doesn't tempt us. us, Right. So he kind of started this conversation about how do we approach this portion of scripture? So I want to hear your thoughts on how how we should do that. Yeah. Yep. It was Pope Francis and, you know, that made headlines for a while uh, around, around the globe, actually. (laughs) It was very interesting. Um, yeah. So when you start digging into translations of this, it's, it's very interesting. I'm looking here at the new revised standard version, which says in Matthew 6, 13, do not bring us to the time of trial. Um, you know, the most familiar version from the King James is lead us not into temptation. Right. And then there was a, there was a version that we use in the Episcopal church that was translated in the eighties and the line is save us from the time of trial. Hmm. So there's different ways of, of rendering it, but um, you know, most, if you look at the commentaries, look at new Testament commentaries, most biblical scholars seem to think that what Jesus is saying is that there is going to come a time of, of testing at the end, you know, before Jesus returns and yeah. what exactly that looks like, you know, scholars debate that whether it's like a going to be a literal seven year tribulation or whether it's something more um, symbolic, but you know, bef- before Jesus returns, there's going to be this time of conflict and testing and persecution. And so Jesus is, is teaching his disciples to pray, Lord, let us, let us be spared from that, you know, keep us safe in that. So that, that seems to be the kind of original meaning of it. Um, but I think what the Pope is pointing out is that when you put it into English as, you know, lead us not into temptation, it could give the wrong idea that God is someone who is sort of um, throwing up moral problems in our way to try to trip us up, you know, to try to make us stumble and fall. And I think the Pope is right that that's just not how God is. James chapter one says, God can't be tempted by evil, nor does God tempt anyone, you know, but, but when we're tempted, it's our own fallenness. It's our own brokenness and sinfulness that leads us away. So, um, I, I, you know, I think, I think you could, I think you could keep the traditional translation, lead us not into temptation and then just explain it, you know, yeah. try to, right, right. um, so, so I think there's, there's, there's some flexibility, uh, there, as long as we keep in mind that God is not, um, you know, older theologians used to say, God is not the author of evil. Yeah. Um, God uses evil. God, God redeems our brokenness. God is sovereign over evil, but God is not actively, you know, uh, throwing up temptations to try to see if we're, um, you know, all that we say we are. That's that's not a, a right picture of the God of the Bible. Yeah. Um, oh. w- one of the other things I thought was really helpful um, in your treatment of this is you kind of talked about reading it in light of Matthew's gospel on the whole and, yeah. and the way that yeah. Jesus, and this gets back to kind of your intention for the book, is how Jesus sort of fulfills and embodies each of these petitions. So could you maybe say a little bit about that? Yeah. 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 It's so I, I started reading this, this one um, new Testament commentator named Dale Allison, and he just, he helped me see how every single line of this prayer somewhere or other 
in the rest of the gospel of Matthew, Jesus kind of embodies it or, or, you know, right. uh, fulfills it in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And, um, that word, you know, the, the time of trial or testing or, or temptation, that same word is the word that shows up again, uh, in Jesus prayer in the garden of Gethsemane. Um, and ultimately, you know, he, he asks, Lord, don't, don't let me go through this. You know, I don't want to go to the cross in some sense, you know, there's this, there's this agony involved, but then Jesus does, he goes like he, he actually endures the full weight of the temptation or the trial, um, and, and bears it so that we don't have to. So there's a way, like once you see the way the gospel ends, once you see what Jesus does for us, and then you go back to the Lord's prayer to pray it again, you say, Lord, uh, you know, lead us not into temptation, uh, save us from the time of trial. Do not bring us to the time of trial. And we know that you'll answer that because yeah. we've seen that Jesus has already gone there for us. Yeah. Therefore, therefore, we will never, it's not to say we won't be tempted or tested, but we will never endure the full extent of the testing and the trial that Jesus went into for us. Yeah. So there's like a, there's like a way to pray it after the cross and after Easter Yeah. that, that makes it, we have all the more confidence in yeah. praying it. And to be clear, that's the part of the book where I started bawling, and I could, I, I <laughs> yeah. could not, I could not brush it away as allergies anymore at that point. <laughs> it's true. It, it's powerful, isn't it? I yeah. mean, just to just to dwell on that. Yeah, it is. It's so powerful, and and I don't know. I I think about how when we read through the book and then we began to use it like as a model for praying together, it just, it is really such a powerful portion of scripture that Jesus commands us to do. He commands us himself. And so, yeah, it's just one of the greatest ways that we can model, um, Mm just the way that we address the Lord uh, mm. because of what he has shown us and how he's shown us how to do that. So I, I, I wanted to, as we wrap up, I wanted to ask, as we read scripture in different seasons of our lives, uh, mm. sometimes these seasons grant us different perspectives on what we're reading, the, the same mm. truth, but just different circumstances kind of shape the way that we read scripture. So I, I wanted to ask personally, what are some of the seasons in which you have come to the Lord's prayer and just kind of seen it differently? And how can we keep our eyes on the Lord's prayer throughout mm. every season of our lives and count on the same truth to just to have the ability to see it with different eyes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's, that's great. And that goes back to, I think what we were talking about a bit earlier with regard to like liturgy, like scripted prayers. Um, there's something about being able to say the very same words in very different seasons of your life yeah. that, that kind of can, can, it's almost like it can serve as a thread that holds your life together. Mm. I've been, I've been praying these same words now that I was praying when I was five years old and here I am, you know, almost 40. And there's, it's, it's like that creates a kind of continuity or a kind of stability for your life in a certain way. Um, th- there's a writer I like named Peter Lightheart who grew up Lutheran. Yeah. Um, in fact, he wrote the book on the 10 commandments in the same, same I'm, series. I'm a little obsessed with Peter Lightheart. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's, he's brilliant. He's great. But he, he has this story in one of his books where he says, you know, I'm not a Lutheran in, anymore and I, I'm not, I'm not um, you know, part of the Lutheran liturgy anymore. But in, in the Lutheran liturgy, there's this, this call and response and it's the Lord be with you. And then the, per, the person responding says, and also with you. You know, and a lot of, a lot of traditions have that. But, um, but he says that he went back to his hometown, back to his home church after, after years of having moved away. And he went for a funeral. And he said he, he bumped into someone that he hadn't seen in years. 
and he didn't know what to say. You know, this was a, a, a death that had brought them back together. And he said he just found himself saying, like he didn't even plan to say it, the Lord be with you. Yeah. And, the and the person responded, and also with you. And he said it was beautiful because in that moment when we didn't have words, like we didn't know what to say, yeah. we could actually kind of let this, this language carry us. We could let this language speak for us. And I, I think something is similar with the Lord's Prayer. Like, you know, there, there are times in all of our Christian lives probably where either because of depression or, or anxiety or grief or whatever, we're, we're going to run into times where we just don't know what to say to God anymore. Yeah. And to have, to have these words that we can almost um, sort of attach ourselves to, like say, you know, I'm going to let this prayer carry me when I, when I don't necessarily know how to carry myself right now. Yeah. There's something powerful in that. Um, I talk in the book about one of these times for me. I, I, uh, I've gone through a couple rough seasons in recent years hmm. and I've, I've been praying the Lord's prayer in those seasons while looking at this particular painting. Um, and, uh, you know, if, if, if any of your listeners haven't, haven't seen this painting, you can Google it, but it's, it's the, the Dutch artist Rembrandt. Uh, he, he painted uh, a painting of the return of the prodigal son. Um, and it's a beautiful painting. It's, I, I'd love to see it in person. It's, it's, it's in Russia and it's apparently huge, like, you know, eight feet tall or something. Um, but it's, you know, it's this image of the prodigal son. He's, he's dirty, his clothes are torn and he, you know, one of his sandals is missing. He's just a broken kind of bedraggled sort of guy. And he's, he's come home and his father's shoulders are rest or his father, his father's hands are resting on his shoulders in the most tender way. And I can't tell you how, you know, looking at that image, looking at that image of a father who, you know, rather than fly off the handle, he actually ran out to meet this, this son and he embraces him when he probably smells bad and he looks bad. Um, and to, and to think that that's the one we're calling out to when we say our father who art in heaven, you know, hallowed be thy name, that it's that father. It's that father, uh, who, who stoops in humility to kiss his son, to love his wayward son. Um, that, that has really sustained me through some dark seasons of life. So, um, yeah, hopefully that, uh, is a plug for, you know, memorizing this prayer and, and incorporating it into your devotional life. Wes, thank you so much for, um, first of all, for this book. I mean, it's, yes. it's a tremendous gift to the church and, and really does mind the riches of this great prayer, these words that Jesus taught us to pray. And uh, we'll all be better for it uh, as we pray these yes. words back to our Father. Well, thanks. And I want to say thanks for having me on your podcast. I'll be praying for your church and the minister there. Um, I'm excited to see what God has in store for you all. Thanks so much for tuning into today's episode of The Stone Table. If you enjoyed this conversation with Wes as much as we did, do us a favor and rate and subscribe and leave a review. That helps us to get the word out. Also, we would love to hear from you. So if you've got questions or topics that you'd like to hear addressed on the show, go ahead and send us an email at thestonetable at baylife.org or connect with us over our new Instagram, The Stone Table Podcast. For Baylife Church, I'm Travis, and this is The Stone Table.